Wow, good morning. Uh, I taught my tips. I hope I earned points for standing on there. What a privilege to be together in the name of Jesus. I want to give him maximum time. He's an amazing Lord. And uh, it's because of him we can have partnerships where we can actually make our lives count for something bigger than just what we see in the natural. Amen. And that's super exciting. And so um, thank you for all you're doing for Jesus in the way that you're serving him. Because we need everybody involved to get the job done. This is a big job. This is a global job. And so if you're sitting there thinking like, you know what, there's enough oaks doing enough things in the church. The answer is no. We have a world that needs to be reached and Jesus has commissioned us to do that. And so we need every single one of you to do what God is calling you to do to get the job done. Amen. And so we're very, very grateful. We feel so privileged. Um, Anthony and Meredith, nice to see you, Oaks. A lot of good things do come from KZN. But please keep praying for KZN. It's been a tough time for the churches there. And so we, we absolutely appreciate the input and leadership and ministry that comes from here to us and the churches there. And uh, we ask you to keep praying for us. Is that all right? And then Craig and Colette, man, just yeah, leading this church so well. Absolutely doing such a stunning job throughout so many difficult challenges that the church of Jesus Christ has gone through. Well done to you, Oaks. Keep going. Push in behind them. You'll be blessed. Amen. Uh, Translocal ministry, you have to understand that how God has put it together is when Jesus ascended, he gave gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, and I'm not claiming to be any of that, uh, but they're an expression of Jesus himself to his church. And as we travel to other churches, there's an expression of Jesus that he's given us to take us from where the church started 2,000 years ago to where the church will be when Jesus comes back again. It's to bring maturity, it's to bring stability, it's to equip us to get the job done. And so we're not professionals or experts in any way. We are simply an expression of Jesus Christ into the local church to empower you to push on with what God's called you to do. And so as we partner with the eldership team by invitation and through relationship, there is a cooperation in the kingdom that multiplies us. Because you know in the Bible it's one sets a thousand to flight, two doesn't set two thousand to flight, but ten thousand. It's a multiplication. And so don't underestimate your contribution together and what we can achieve together. That's why you're part of a local church. I know you think you're here for you. But you are here for those who are not in the building. Can you remember that? Your consistency, your prayer, your faith, your service, your relationship with Jesus actually are for people who don't know Jesus. Um, we had the privilege recently of traveling to the UK. I told this story and there was uh, one of the things that really touched my heart was this blind man walking around on the busy streets of London. And he was crying out, help me, help me. So it's a strange thing, but I found in London that everyone's got uh, earphones on and walking about their own business. And so he was just walking around trying to get help. And so I said, how can I help you? And he said, I need to get across the road to the shop. So buses and everything was going on this busy street. And so I said, well, 
I'll go with you. And so he said, just give me your arm. And he put his hand onto my arm and he said, can you take me across the road to the shop where I can get what I know I need? And so we had a little chat as we crossed the road, but suddenly it struck me. He had no previous relationship with me. We had no history. I had no special ability besides I could see. And in a moment, he completely took his life and entrusted it into my hands to take him across a road to where he knew he needed to get something, but he didn't know how to get there. And that's the gospel. Every one of you who believes in Jesus, your eyes have been opened. And the world around us need us to be there. And you don't need a special ability. You don't need a long history. You've got the gospel. We've got to help people to get to where they need to get to, to get what they need to get. And that is God. Amen? Through Jesus. So that was just for free. Let me not. When he starts joking, he distracts me completely. And that's why when we travel on long trips, the conversation really um, deteriorates. Anyway. <clears throat> so this morning, uh, what, what's been stirring in my heart, and I wanted, I'm hoping and trusting to stir you in this as well, is this verse from 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, where it says, Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. And uh, it's amazing. When I first read the scripture, it was a bit intimidating for me. Because I thought like, wow, can I really be like Jesus? You know, do I? But Jesus came and he showed us this divine side. But he also showed us this very human side. And I love that because one of my favorite portions of scripture is when he was baptized and, and God the Father said, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. It means I have the potential to please God. And that was without Jesus doing any miracles, without Jesus going to the cross, without anything. 30 years he lived on earth and that he could please the Father. That means... If I'm called to walk in his footsteps, there's potential in my life to be a blessing to God, to please God somehow. And so um, I know there's that little road in Jerusalem called the Via de la Rosa. It's the road of sorrows. It's the road Jesus walked when he carried the cross. And some people go to Jerusalem. I've never been there myself. But they go and walk in the same footsteps that Jesus walked. Um, but I don't think that's what John meant. Because somehow, I don't know if I could, I, I don't even qualify to redeem myself. And that road, Jesus was forced to walk by the Roman soldiers because he was carrying the weight of the sin of the world. My blood doesn't even qualify to pay for my own life. And so I don't think to follow Jesus uh, means that I have to carry that burden like Jesus carried it. I also don't think it means like, I have to walk in sinless perfection. Because John himself says, if anyone claims to be without sin, he's a liar. And worse than that, you make him out to be a liar. So it's not like you're walking so close to Jesus when you are, you know, um, carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. Or you're walking in the footsteps of Jesus if you're the sinless perfection 
necessarily. I think John means something different. And so John writes in his gospel, John chapter 14, and it's not going to come up on the screen, so you might as well pull your Bible out and go there. Um, but he would have heard Jesus say these words, John. Do not let your hearts be troubled. I'm reading verse 1 in John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. I'm reading the NLT. If this were not so, I would have told you. Uh, I'll, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Verse 3, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you'll always be with me and where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. And of course we know Thomas says, no, we don't know, Lord. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answers him and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, which we've, we've heard preached often, I'm sure. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, Jesus gives us destination, and he also gives us the way. And so, <clears throat> in some ways, Jesus is, he opens the way to allow us to get to where we need to go. But in another way, Jesus also is a road map. He shows us the way. If you follow Jesus all the way to the end, where do you end up? No. Streets of gold. No sickness, no disease. No. He gives us the destination. No one comes to the Father. If you follow Jesus and you live like Jesus lived, and you, if you walk in His steps, where you end up, if you go all the way. There's no, is the camera on? Okay. I was going to say, is now Avi, I can move. But anyway, you end up with God Himself. That's the destination. And so Jesus is very clear that he's the way, but he's also, he, he's very clear what the destination is. It's the Father. And if you read Luke, you know, there's this genealogy of, of, of mankind. And it goes all the way back to Adam. And it, and, and it says in verse 38, Kenan was the son of Enosh, was the son of Seth, was the son of Adam, who was the son of... Which means when Adam opened his eyes and he looked at God... What did he call God? Savior. Couldn't be because he hadn't been saved yet. Surely he didn't need saving. Did he say creator? Well, I mean, he wasn't exactly there the first six days, was he? He just opened his eyes <clears throat> and what he called God was Father. And so Jesus takes us back to the original intention of God. You follow Jesus all the way, you come to the Father. Genesis 3 verse 8, um, it says that in the cool of the evening breezes, when it was blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord doing what in the garden? Walking. If any man claims to be in God, he must walk as Jesus walked, which means walking is what you do from the car park to the building. It's what you do when you drop off your children. It's what you do when you go to the shop. Walking is just how you live 
every single day. And so to walk the way Jesus walks means that we're walking in this closeness to the Father. And Jesus says, if you follow me all the way, there's in my Father's house, the proximity to my Father, the presence of the Father, the knowledge of the Father, which your identity, your belonging, everything flows from. If you follow me all the way, that's where you land up. I want to say this, that sin brought an abrupt stop to that relationship. And this is what I think we don't really understand. I, 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 some of this came out over the weekend as we chatted. Um, but you know, in, in the Father's presence, there is zero darkness. Zero, zero, zero darkness. No darkness. And... Being lost or cut off from the Father means you're in utter, utter state of lostness. I don't know how to describe it. The best way we can do this is to use our imagination. And so I want you to imagine of your dream home. Your, your best idea. Are you imagining it? Like... Not, like, like, not just the home, but the place where all the people that you love, even those that have passed on, that are there. And there's laughter. And there's no load shedding. And there's... <laughs> Use your imagination. That's all I'm saying. Please. I know it's a stretch. There's no COVID. There's no... It's, it's joy. It's warm. It's, there's no climate crisis. There's no sickness. There's no disease. There's no... It's this place where it's relationships and it's happy and it's joy and it's warm and it's deep and it's beautiful. If you're from KZN, I'd even say, and there's water. And it's yours. It belongs to you. Have you imagined that place? The only problem is that it's in the Tianzi Mountains in China. You, come on, imagine with me. Now, how many know where that is? You have no idea. Because you don't know how to get there. And you have another problem here. Are you imagining still? Because it's in China. All right. You're the most wanted person in China because China, do you know, has 46 offenses that can get you the death penalty. One of them is that you collaborate with the enemy. And at some point in your life, you collaborated with someone from the Chinese government. We're just imagining. And what happened was... They found you out. They found the evidence. They brought the charges. You were found guilty. And as soon as you put your foot in China, they will arrest you and execute you. So you've got this beautiful mansion that belongs to you. But you have this death sentence over your life that you can never put your foot there. You can never even step onto the land and you'll be arrested and executed immediately because there's zero darkness in the presence of the father if i simply even step into his presence i am i am instantly and completely judged for my sin jamie that's a word that's the it the original greek means anyway i don't know 
I'm just trying to describe to you the lostness that mankind finds itself in. We think it's just like a small little step from there to here. It is, it is. Now, if you're still using your imagination, you have another problem. Besides the fact that you have a death sentence over your life, you are floating on a plank in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. 155 million square kilometers. I'm trying to describe the lostness of being cut off from God. I I don't know. And then you see, because the scriptures tell me that God alone is immortal and he lives in unapproachable light. No one has seen him and no one can see him. His paths are without tracing out. It's like floating in the Pacific Ocean and saying, can you find this place in China that you've never even been to? And and we, we have this pipe dream that somehow we can reach it as a human being but i tell you even if we put our foot on there the judgment of god on sin is there we we have no chance of finding god absolutely no chance so when jesus says i am the way to the father it is profound what he's saying Hebrews, 19, Hebrews 10, 19 describes it this way. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way opened up for us through the curtain. So, so in a way, what Jesus would have done in this situation, he would go to the Chinese government and say, what's the price to pay for this person's death penalty where they broke the law? And they'd say, well, this is the penalty. And he'd say, okay, here it is. I'll pay the full price. Secondly, what he would do is, if he is the way, he goes and finds me in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Ah, I never found him. He, he somehow has this GPS tracking system, finds me floating on a plank, In the middle of an ocean where I cannot navigate. I don't even know how, where to look for this. And he gives me what I need. And he gives me the map. And he gives me the resources. And he gives me the ability to say, follow this, follow this, follow this to get me to the place. That already belongs to me. Because he's paid the price. You don't exist only for you. Anyone who claims to live in God should live their lives the way Jesus lived. 33 years he came to show us the way and how to live. And for me, when I, so I began to look at this in the Gospels and say, well, how did Jesus live? Because if it's not about, if I can't do the miracles Jesus did, if I can't carry the weight of the sin of the world, if I can't be perfect like he's like you know in that way what is it that john is saying here what is it about the way that i need to follow and live my life every every step when i'm walking from the car to the shops when i'm loving my wife when i'm bringing up my children to walk in the steps of jesus to follow in the way of jesus what is it about his way that i need to imitate i want to say something about that way it's very recognizable If you follow the way Jesus lived, it's very recognizable. How do I know? Because in Acts chapter 9, when Paul asked for letters 
to arrest people. It puts it this way in Acts chapter 9 verse 2. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation to arrest any followers of the way. He could clearly see who was following and who was not following this way that Jesus talks about. How did he find them? Are you walking the same way that he walked? It's different. Secondly, I want to say his way is different to the world's way. What's the world's way? Well, in Acts chapter 14, 16, in the past, God permitted the nations to go their own way. Why is Jesus' way different to the world's way? Because he's not going his own way. You can't follow Jesus and be going your own way. There's an empty way that's been passed down to us from our parents and our parents' parents and our parents' parents. And, and 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 says, You know that it is not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you've been redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. If we simply follow the way of the world, if we simply follow our own way, we cannot be claiming to live in God. hope this is alright. But I'm stirred for you because there are lost people. I'm going to ask you to open. I can open for myself. I've learned. Grown. There is also, in the world's way, there's the way of Cain. And that's not mainstay, you know, like stay as you want for the rest of your life, or you can change to mainstay. You don't know. Um, this guy told me, who, well, Ty, who's this guy? <laughs> it's not the way of Cain, bro. It's not that Cain. <clears throat> It says they, they've rushed off to prophets. Uh, uh, they rushed for profit into Balaam's era, um, and they have been destroyed by Korah's rebellion. You see, the way of the world is rushing for profit. It's always what's in it for me, and it's always a rebellious way. So, how do you know those who follow in the footsteps of Jesus? The way is different to the way of the world. We're not going our own way. We're not rushing for profit. We're not in rebellion to the will of God. I'm just saying. In fact, Colossians 3.7 says, You used to walk in these ways. In the life you once lived. The next thing I want to say about the way of Jesus, I'm, that's really where I want to get to. Um... It's not complicated, but it's not easy. It's narrow. I love the way the message Bible puts Matthew 17, because it says, don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though the crowds of people do. The way to life, the way to God is vigorous and requires total attention. See, the way is narrow. It's not complicated, it's just narrow. 
It also means that way is not obvious. That way doesn't come naturally to me. It's not instinctive. It will require my full vigorous attention to follow in the way that Jesus showed us. I also, f I, I believe that that way is not complicated because if you read in Acts chapter 18 verse 26, it says, When Priscilla and Aquila heard Apollos preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and they explained the way of God even more accurately, which means the way of God can be understood. It's practical. I think it can be lived out. I think it is not just a concept or an idea. It's the very way to God. It's the way Jesus demonstrated to us how we can live as human beings, not having to walk on water and doing all that. We can trust God for that. But walking from the car to the shop, to the home, to the wherever you walk, every day, all the time, following in the footsteps of Jesus. Are you there? I've, I believe that this way is impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit of God enabling you to walk in that way. Romans 7 verse 6. Now we've been released from the law. We've died to it, no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. Jesus was able to please God for 30 years. By being dependent on the Holy Spirit. It's different to the world. It's not me going my own way. It's different to that. This way that we're talking about is the most excellent way to live your life. It's the way Jesus lived his life. It's the most excellent way. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 31. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And now I will show you the most excellent way. The most excellent way. And then in 1 Corinthians 13, the very next chapter, it's love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love is not boastful. Love is not proud. Love is not rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritated. It keeps no record of, of wrongs. It doesn't rejoice with injustice, but with truth. You know that. And then in, in the next chapter, chapter 14, verse 1, follow the way of love. One thing I noticed about Jesus and the way that he lived is the way that he loved God, the way that he loved himself, and the way that he loved people. It's the most excellent way. I think that we need to take another look at the word love because I think God's description of love and our idea of love is very different. We say, I love my dog. I love my shoes. Some of us say we love our dogs. <laughs> Especially if they're born again dogs. But when, remember, <laughs> God is love, which means love existed before we were created, which means God has the sole rights on the definition of love. Because before we came, God is love. 
And so God's description of love, our definitions and all that come after that, he has the right to describe love. And so when, when Jesus lived out his life in love to God, what does that look like? Because that's the most excellent way to live your life. That's the way when you end up and land up with God himself and his presence in your life and what he's prepared for your life. That's how you walk into it. It's the most excellent way to do ministry. It's the most excellent way to do business. It's the most excellent way to love your wife, to live family. It's the way Jesus lived his life. And anyone who claims to be in God must walk as Jesus walked. Otherwise, we're just a clanging symbol, a noise to the world. You're getting where we're going. I messed this up recently because of my pronunciation, but there's a Greek word for love called eros love, and I said oros. <laughs> and so it's not oros, it's, and I might not be saying it correctly, but eros love is a very self-referential love. I love you as long as you do what I want you to do. It always refers back to me. Bob Mumford calls it a self-referential love. It's eros love. It's our definition of love as, as humanity. And so, um, it's love with a hook in it. And if you follow that way of love, you know where you'll end up is very frustrated, angry and disappointed. Because even if you love your wife like that, and even if you get what you're trying to get through what, you, what you're doing, you will never be satisfied because it's not the love of God. It's a self-referential love. <coughs> I think uh, you'll be very critical and very unhappy with Eros love. It's incredibly unsatisfying. It's very prevalent and it's highly conditional. You'll keep ending up in the same place where man is at the center. It becomes like a prison, really. It's this never-ending circle where I love, but it's because of what it does for me. And then it goes again, I love, but it's because of what it does for me. And it slowly becomes, the walls become thicker, and it becomes this prison. And you end up at the same place all the time with God, with your marriage, with your family, with the world around you, you end up at the same place. Because you've got to ask yourself, am I loving because there's something in it for me? And can I say this, that even our Christianity, it is even possible to love God in this way. In fact, all of us start off loving God like that. I pray because I want him to heal me. I give so he can provide for me. I go to meetings and perform rituals so that he can protect me. I worship him in giving gifts so that he doesn't punish me. I want to ask you how much of your engagement with God this week has been self-referential? God's love, there's a different word for it. And it's not lecol. <laughs> it's, it's the Greek word agape. And that has a definition I, I found. 
The essential meaning of agape is an exercise of the divine will in deliberate choice made without assignable cause save that which lies in the nature of God himself. It's God's absolute by which he measures all things. Agabe ultimately is God's reality. It's used as a noun and a verb. It doesn't love because of beauty or value discovered. But it's love that comes out of God's own nature. It's so different. It's love because love is who God is. And therefore, it's, it never changes. It's not about something he discovers of value in me. It's one directional from God. And it's unconditional. And it's based on who God is. And that cannot change. It's the most powerful thing. And it's the way God chose to save the world. We can only love because he loved us first. 1 John 4.19. You see, John understood this. You know that God didn't love us because he needed something from us. He loved us because that's who he is. He didn't love us because of any value he discovered in us. I, I try to look at the life of Jesus outside of the miracles he did and his ministry to try and see how this way, do you have them here? Oh, they came up from Durban. Goodness me. Totally distracted. And I saw, you know, when, when you look at the heart of Jesus, eh? It's phenomenal. It blows my mind. It really. Because I think what he's, he did was, I, I imagine him saying to, to God the Father, Dad, how can I help you? How can I bless you? How can I love you? I understand something of your will that you're wanting to save the world. So how, what can I offer you? What can I give you? And Hebrews puts it this way in verse 5 of chapter 10. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. So what he's saying to God is, God, I will take on, I will offer you a human body because I understand what you're trying to do. You're trying to save the world and bring them back to you. And sacrifice and, and that is not, offering is not what you require. But what you require right now is a perfect human being. I will give myself. I will take on that form. And so he's loving the Father in this way. Psalm 40 verse 7, it says, Then it is said, Here I am, I have come. It's written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O God, for your law is written in my heart. <sighs> so I wake up in the morning to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And I don't have to go necessarily to some mission. But I say, Lord, this is your daughter. I understand something of your will that you want to love her. What can I offer you? 
to please you. For you to have your will in the life of your daughter. And I walk in the footsteps of Jesus because I see him reflecting that love back to God. Does that make sense to you? It's like more like, God, how can I refresh you? How can I? I know you don't get tired. But that's what Jesus constantly, constantly did. So let me end off with five, I think it's five practical ways that I see Jesus loving God. We don't have time to talk about how Jesus loved himself and how he loved people. But just in the way that Jesus as a human being loved God, pleased God. Because after 30 years, honestly, you know when he was 30, he was baptized. And when he came up out of the water, the father said, this is my son whom I'm pleased. He hadn't done a miracle yet. He hadn't gone to the cross yet. He was still able to please God, which when John says walk in his footsteps, that gives me courage. I can also please God by the way that I live and the way that I do ministry and the way that I live out my marriage and my children, my neighbor, my work, everything else. I can, I can, can love God in the same way Jesus loved God. Is that okay? And I'm encouraging you as a church to Walk in the footsteps of Jesus in this way. Walk in the most excellent way. It's the way of love. And if you will, you will notice how lost people are. And that sometimes all we need to do is put our arm out and say, I can take you to the place where you can find what God created you for, and that is the love of God, because nothing else will satisfy you. All right, so let's be practical quickly then. How did Jesus love God? He always gave God priority in everything. That's how he lived. He always focused his time and his energy on what it is that God wanted. He took the time to listen, to find out. This mocked Jesus' life, that he'd often go alone and speak to the Father and to, to find out what, it, what do you want, Dad? What would you want? I, I, I mean, Jesus was a man of sorrows. He had many pressures. He had pressures from his family, pressures from his nation. In his ministry, he was tempted just like us. But this is the way he describes himself in John chapter 8. Um, I always do what pleases him. Under all the pressure of everything, I always do what pleases Him. We can do that. We can. You may not be able to be sinless, perfect, but we can do this because Jesus did it as a human being to show us the example He's like, come to us in the middle of that Pacific Ocean. He said, this is step one. This is step two. This is step three. And follow it all the way. I've already opened the way for you there, but this is how you walk there. Um, even in Matthew 3 verse 15, Jesus says when he's baptized, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. 
What has God required from you today? Do you live your life like that? Lord, I want to do all you require. Lord, I always want to do what pleases you. It's like the mark of Jesus. It's the way he lived. Even when he preached, he always used stories and illustrations, Matthew 13, 34. He always used stories and illustrations um, like these when he was speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using parables. Verse 35, this fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet. Can you imagine living your life like that? I, only, I want to fulfill what God has spoken. I want to be the fulfillment of what God has spoken, even in the way that I preach and the way that I talk. It's an incredible awareness of what pleases God all the time. The second practical thing, he surrendered his will completely to the will of God. That's how you love God. And I, I, I want to say this. We can stand in a room and, and sing and preach and do all the things we do as Christians. We still have to come back to this question. Am I loving God? How much of my Christianity is self-referential? And how much of my engagement with God is actually we love because He loved us first? It's absolutely um, unconditional. It's a very, it's a very powerful example Jesus gave us. Amen. He surrendered his will to the will of God. Um, John, this is all like I mean. John said, "Walk in the steps of Jesus." So you, I've just been looking at the Gospel of John and seeing how did John see Jesus? And John was very close to Jesus. He would have watched the way he walked. And it's not like. Walking, I'm talking about the, the way he did when he got up to the breakfast table, to the office, to the car, to the ministry, to the disciples. To, it's the way he walked. And John 6.38, I've come down from heaven to do the will of, the, of God who sent me, not to do my own will, will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he's given me, but that I should raise them up on the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. Listen to what he says. That's my Father's will. That's what I'm going to do. And he realizes with the Father's will comes governmental decisions. What I, where I go. What I do with my time, who I hang out with, all of that is determined by the Father's will. And then he also says this, I realize with the will of God comes a responsibility. I'm going to do it. It's my Father's will that I don't lose one, I won't lose one. It's my Father's will that I raise them up, I will raise them up. God's will puts a calling over your life, my friend. It is not God's will that any should perish. It does put something onto my life if I claim to live in God, then that I understand His will. Are you all right? It's not. Uh, it's, it's, it requires faithfulness and obedience to love God this way. 
30 years Jesus just lived to show us this. Thirdly, there was a devotion in Jesus' life. He loved what God loved with passion. John chapter 2 verse 17. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for your house will consume me. And you might say like, oh, now Jesus is in ministry and all that. No, no, no. When he was 12 years old, where was he? In God's house. That was his passion. Didn't you know I must be where my father, in my father's house, he said. Amazing. Somehow Jesus said like doing the will of the father is like food to me. You know, John 4, 34, Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and finishing his work. It was never a burden for Jesus to do the will of God. It was like refreshing. Why? Because he loved God. And he loved what God loved. Imagine the church loving God this way. His priority his will, passion for what he's passionate about. <laughs> we'll turn the world upside down now, like Jesus did. He was eager to be involved. He was committed, follow through. His attitude was involved in the mission of the Father. He offered himself for what the will of the Father was. He reached people. He worshipped. It was like, it was not just casual, it was passionate. The effort didn't put him off. He was strengthened and refreshed. Even when he had physical hunger, putting up with people, he, he, he was passionate. And then fourthly, he represented him well. And I'm landing. John, again, the Gospel of John seven sixteen. So Jesus told them, my message is not my own. It comes from God who sent me. You see me, you see him. That's the way you love someone. You know, when I misrepresent someone, I'm actually not loving them. I am loving myself. It's a self yeah, You get it. Self-referential love. So I, I said to some of the leaders recently, my biggest problem is getting out of the way. So people can see Jesus. And that doesn't mean like I sit back and I hide. <clears throat> it's to sift back the me and to love God. So that people can see Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus said, my message isn't, it's not my own message. It's what he's told me to say. You know, this is the son of God. He's also the son of man, I know, but this is the son of God showing us the way. He made sure people saw God's love, heard God's message, brought glory to God because he represented God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He didn't try and take any of the glory of that message. He didn't try and change the message. He, didn't, he simply wanted to represent God well. That's how he loved God. That's how he loved God.
beloved God also by delighting himself in the Father. He marveled. You know, um, in Matthew 11, abruptly, verse 25, Jesus broke into prayer and he said, Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've concealed your ways from these sophisticated know-it-alls and, and, and you spelt it out to ordinary people. And it says, Yes, Father, that's the way you like to work. And it says that Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, he shared that he was like, Dad, you're amazing. Check what you did. This is so cool. You hid it from all those people and you revealed it to God. I'm so joy. Can I share my joy and delight with you, Dad, in what you've done? That's just loving on God. All right. If anyone claims to live in him, we must walk as Jesus walked. And you might say it's impossible, but I say to you, he showed us the way, follow the steps. Follow the way of love. Start by loving God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. It will change your life. Start by giving him priority. Lay down your will for his will. Start representing him the way he is, not the way you want him to be. Don't give the world your, your Jesus. Give them Jesus. Let them see Jesus for who he really is. And let's understand what he has done by saving us from our lostness is an incredible miracle that for all eternity, I tell you, it's the scandal of heaven that angels would, why would the Son of God go to that place for those creatures and lay down his life they long to look into it you know they they don't understand grace they haven't been forgiven like us they haven't been lost there is a awe and a wonder to the gospel And it's um, our privilege to represent that gospel to the world. It's not a mission. Like it's, it's a mission, but it's not like a mission. It's not hard work when we love in God. To be passionate about church and what Jesus is building is not hard work when we're loving God. When we're loving God, we, we, we're passionate about what He's passionate about.